get up on your feet. Let's find somebody and tell them good morning.
Good morning, Carpenter's Way. I hope you are having a great February. It's very early in the month, but uh, at least it's warmed up a little bit. Spring has come. Summer will be here in about seven days. So I hope you're enjoying yourself. Well, we're excited to start our service this morning with two baptisms. Um, I want to begin by explaining what baptism is and is not, because there's some confusion. Um, baptism isn't what saves you. Actually, it's the baptism through the blood of Christ into the family of God that you accept by faith. Uh, it says in scripture that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Having been adopted into God's family through the blood of Christ, the Lord instructs that we follow him, become his followers, and are discipled and grow up. And part of that process is actually saying publicly that I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'm going to live my life out to serve the Lord. That's baptism. Uh, at what we believe at Carpenter's Way is uh, that baptism uh, is what the baptism of Jesus. When he came to the point in his life where he said, look, I'm not here to serve myself. I'm here to serve my Father's will. And so the people that are being baptized this morning understand that. 
They've already accepted Christ's offer to forgive them, and so it's our honor to baptize them. I want to introduce you to Rosa. Rosa, will you say your last name, please? Calamaco. See? I couldn't have said that. <laughs> I had it written down, I had it hyphenated, and I realized I would have killed that name. So this is Rosa. And uh, I'm really excited about this baptism because uh, I know we talk a lot about being involved in local ministries and how they're an arm of the church. They talk about that. This is a picture of that because uh, Rosa has been working with the Mosaic for the last couple of years and graduated for one of their classes and has been coming. To, how long have you been coming to Carpenter's Way? It's been less than a year and has grown. And so our, our marriage with the Pregnancy Help Center, Mosaic Center, and CISC and other organizations, they create disciples. And we pick up there and, and we, we mentor them and disciple them. And this is, this is one of those examples. And we're really honored to have Rosa's family with us today. It's good to see you here. I speak way too fast, so just try to catch every fifth word. But we're honored that you would be here today. And uh, we, wanna, we want you to know that God is not a white God. He's not an American God. He's not a black God. He's not a Mexican God. He's God. And he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. No matter what language you speak or country you come from, don't let, don't let the culture, the politics deceive you. God loves you. In fact, it's more than that. He likes you. And he wants a relationship with you, so he sent his son. But uh, we have talked, and Rosa came to know the Lord as her Savior uh, and has been with us a while, went through the Mosaic. Is there anything you'd like to say to your family? I understood about five of those words, and they were Jesus is in her heart, yes. and uh, we are privileged. So, Rosa, why don't you grab your nose? Okay. Having heard, yes, ma'am. Having heard your profession of faith and knowing you are my sister in Christ, it's my privilege this morning to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. So good. Paige. Paige, who is one of the staff at the Mosaic Center, as well as a member in our church, is going to pray for Rosa. Lord, we are just so happy to be here this morning, and what a privilege to be able to share in the joy of baptism with our sweet and precious Rosa. Lord, it's been a privilege for me to watch her come to know you, to have you draw her near to you. And as she seeks a more intimate relationship with you, Lord, she's digging deeper into your word, and I'm just thankful to be along for the ride. Lord, I pray that Rosa will know that you will never leave her, Lord. You will never forsake her. That your love for her is unfailing and tender and precious. Lord, I pray that she will be blessed with a lifelong pursuit of you. And that she will know that you're her daddy. Lord, for Rosa and her family, I pray that you will do in their lives exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine. And you will be glorified in that, Lord. Lord, I also pray that as Rosa begins this new part of her journey, that we as the Carpenter's Way family will come alongside her with much love and encouragement. Thank you for this time this morning, Lord, and we just love you so much, and we lift all of these things up in your holy and precious name. Amen. Josh Harrison. You came to know the Lord. When did you come to know the Lord? Uh, 17 years ago. 17 years ago. It took you this long to get in the pool, didn't it? It's a little overdue. Well, I'm just, on <laughs> I'm just honored to be the guy who does it. Just make sure you stand up at the end or we're both going under. For sure. 
It's been an honor to have you and your wife. How long have you guys been coming to Carpenter's uh, Lake? For a little over a year. Well, I, I just want to say for those of you, you know, there's so much confusion. Baptism is totally separate from church involvement. I, I did, this is about following God, but in our culture, it marries with local church. It means that we have the privilege to disciple and grow you up. But uh, Josh is here today because he loves the Lord and, and, he's, and he's ready to take that stand. Is there anything you'd like to share? I uh, just, uh, you know, I love y'all. Amen. Josh, having heard your profession of faith, <laughs> I'm gonna get ready. Hey, there's, <laughs> gotta be ready. There's about half of you that haven't done this. Don't laugh at this man. <laughs> you know, when he did that, my heart went boom. There we go. We're going in. <laughs> Josh, having heard your profession of faith and knowing you want to walk with God and tell others, it is my privilege now. Go ahead and grab your notes to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you're clapping for him or the fact that my pants are now wet. I don't know. Uh, Michael Sessions has been is a good friend. They're business partners, from what I understand, and a godly guy. He's been involved in our church in the past. Michael's going to pray for him now. Let's pray. Our God and our Father. We come to you today with thankful hearts, thankful for Josh's decision to follow your example of being baptized, a perfect example of rebirth through salvation. I pray that as he continues to walk with you, he will continue to follow your example and commands that you have demonstrated through your life. I pray that you would bless Josh, Heather, and Si, and pray that as he has made a commitment today, this congregation would also make a commitment to love and support Josh and his family through both the good and hard times that life brings. I thank you again for this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What a way to start the service. I, I love baptisms. I love when we baptize children and students. But to me, there's always something that's just really, really cool when you see adults take a stand to say, listen, I want you to understand that I'm walking with Jesus. So that's awesome. What a way to start our service this morning. If you're our guest this morning, we just want to say thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us. I want to encourage you to participate as we worship together, as we open up God's Word a little bit later on. And uh, we're, we're privileged to have you with us this morning. If you'll take your worship guide, I just want to highlight a couple of things that are coming up pretty quickly. Um, you can read a lot of it on your own, but we do have a preteen winter camp uh, meeting happening right after worship this morning over here uh, where Alicia's at. Uh, just to make sure that if you have a preteen going within the winter camp here in a couple weeks, we have all the paperwork filled out, have all your questions answered. Uh, so immediately following worship this morning, right over there, be a pretty quick meeting, I think. Uh, and so just uh, head over there. Um, also, um, if you are of TNT age, we have TNT on March the 8th. But if you can't wait that long to get your TNT on, they're actually having TNT this Thursday, February the 8th. <laughs> yeah, who knew? It worked that way, right? And so we do have TNT happening this Thursday night. 
um, as well as March the 8th, but if you want to come early, 5.30? You don't know. <laughs> Great, yeah. 5.45, and so if you're interested in that, if you are one of our uh, senior adults who want to participate in that, fantastic food and fun. Um, this Thursday night, so make sure you're here for that. Uh, also, if you've been visiting Carpenter's Way and you just want to find out a little bit more about who we are and how we do what we do, or if you're interested in becoming a member of Carpenter's Way, we do have our Carpenter's Way membership class, or what we call CW 101, chance for you to meet and kind of interact with our leadership team and uh, opportunity if you really figure out who we are. That's coming up on March the 18th. Um, and so make sure that uh, you kind of mark that down. Other than that, um, there is a Bible, women's Bible study that starts this, this Wednesday, correct? And uh, some other women's Bible study opportunities that are in there. Uh, and so once again, thanks for spending some time with us. We're going to ask our ushers to come forward as we get ready to worship through giving our tithes and offerings. And uh, yes, this is the one part of the service that we don't encourage you to participate in because this is the responsibility uh, of our membership. Uh, so we want to pray that God will just bless the time we have this morning. So our guys come down. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for the opportunity we have just to spend some time together with each other as a family, but uh, God, more importantly with you as we, we gather to worship you, as we gather to open up your word and be encouraged and challenged through it. God, we do celebrate this morning um, with Josh and Rosa and pray that God, as they move forward from here, that this would be a moment that they can look back on to say we took that public stand. And God, I pray that you would guide their steps and guard their hearts as they move forward in their walk with you. But God, as we worship together, as we give back to you what you've given to us, and God, as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that, God, you would just, um, just open our hearts and our eyes to what you have for us this morning. But, God, most of all, we want to celebrate the fact that you love us with an incredible, incredible love, and nothing can ever change that. So, God, we, we give you honor this morning. We give you glory this morning, and I pray that you would bless this offering uh, as we continue to do the things you've called us to do here in this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, oh, oh. 
Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. In the last couple of weeks, we've kind of mentioned this and talked about it a little bit. Just uh, that idea of kind of rushing into worship sometime and uh, not really thinking about what's going on. And so, uh, especially coming off what we just read, uh, do you not know, have you not heard? Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the end of the earth. Just taking a second and just like just letting it let it sink in. Just taking a second and just really like try to remove the distractions and really think about what are we doing this morning? Who is this God that we get to come to and sing these songs? So just take a minute before we go into these last two songs and just, just think about who this is. Love 
is this that lays aside his splendor? What God is this who gives himself Grace, 
open to 1 Samuel this morning, I, I just want to, uh, I want to tell you, we, we look for lots of opportunities to disciple folks, and it's been a many, many years since we've had a uh, Bible study just for newly married couples, and uh, Julie and I are excited because starting next Sunday evening at 5, we're going to offer that opportunity, so if you are a newly married couple, and I know I'm going to get emails, what does that mean? I don't know. If you think you're newly married, uh, we're going to have, we'll, we'll let you in. Uh, but uh, we're next sun, starting next Sunday morning or evening at morning. Next Sunday morning at 9:30. Starting next Sunday morning or evening. I'm going to get this right. 5 p.m. in our home. Uh, we're going to start a Bible study for newly married couples. And if you'd like to be a part of that, we'd sure love to have you. You can call the office or email me or whatever. And and even if you don't go to Carpenter's Way and and uh, you watch on the internet and this is something you'd like to be a part of, we'd love to study Scripture with you. That's really what we're about here: is discipling folks in their relationship with God. Um, we, we love having you here, but our ultimate goal is to see you walk with God uh, wherever you worship. Uh, we just want you to know Him and, and walk with Him. Uh, we have been studying now for, for a while and, and just really kind of beginning uh, studying the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, the namesake of the book that we're journeying through right now was actually a miracle baby, if you remember. His mother prayed and prayed that she would have a son. Uh, she was faithful in prayer, and God granted that. Uh, but his whole life is pretty miraculous. At age 12, God asks him to uh, actually tell a king that he's about to be removed from his throne, which is a pretty scary thing for a 12-year-old boy to do. Uh, it is around 20 years later that he becomes a prophet, a priest, and a judge over Israel, the last judge before the times of the kings. Uh, by all accounts, and, and by all accounts, I mean not just the biblical accounts, certainly in there, but also even in the Quran and extra biblical accounts. This might be the only time you hear me quote the Quran. Uh, but other biblical accounts... Samuel is seen as an amazing, amazing servant of God. In his lifetime under God's authority and direction and power, uh, he would remove uh, a high priest at age 12 and 13. I've already mentioned that. He would, call, uh, to, he would be called to lead the Hebrew people to repentance at around 32 or 33 years or, uh, of age. He would anoint king, the first human king over Israel then tell him that God was removing him from his throne and he would anoint his second king. It's an interesting story because in a strange turn of events that we'll talk about later, I'm really excited about this one, he's even going to come back from the dead to prophesy. That's kind of wild. Um, like I said, we'll get through that in about seven minutes because there's not much to that. It's just an amazing story. Uh, this guy that we are studying it was a big deal in what God was doing in this particular time in history, a really big deal. Even God's account of him in 1 Samuel 2 and 3 as a projection of his whole life and ministry refers to him in the almost exact same words, only in Hebrew, that it refers to Jesus Christ in Luke 2. It says that he grew in wisdom and stature in favor of both God and men. Samuel was a powerful, faithful servant of the Most High God, but that's not all he was. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a priest. He wasn't just a judge. He was also a dad. 1 Samuel 8. Verses 1 to 6. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss this matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you're now old, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all other nations have. That's code for you're about to die, dude, and we are scared about what happens next. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Um, as I've already mentioned, 
Not only was Samuel a prophet, a priest, and a judge of Israel, hailed as effective by Christians, Jews, Muslims, and even God himself, he was also a dad who was kind of a failure. Let's pray together. Lord, we need your wisdom this morning and your insight. Uh, there is nothing, I dare say, more precious to us, Father. Certainly we want good jobs, and we want a country that honors you, and we want a community that's kind. But, Father, nothing matters more to us in reality than how we raise our kids and our grandkids. And Father, we're all looking for that silver bullet that will make great kids. We're often promised in churches that if we do it your way, things will work out perfectly, as we, and we define that as how we want them. But, Father, um, I pray this morning that you would... Uh, move us through the murky waters of things that we want and we think and that we're taught and we would find the truths of Scripture. So, Father, I pray that the words of men would fade away so that the words of God can endure forever this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This week, Carpenter's Way had two new babies born into our family, the Barnetts and the Pavliks. Uh, very, very exciting. Two new young ladies that we will have the opportunity to disciple over the next 19 years. Uh, that is a pretty cool thing. It's a very cool thing. The dads survived. I checked on them. They're okay. Uh, an, an amazing thing. And that's healthy church growth. You know, one of the things that I, uh, as I drive through the countryside of Texas, that I do think is cool is you see a, a church and then small white church, little picket fence around it, and behind it you see a little cemetery. I mean, you've all seen those. Uh, you know, the concept of church in the times past when everything was rural was you were born in a church and you died in the back and you were buried out back and your, your history, your family would continue and endure that church. and That's changed. And I want to say not really. It shouldn't change. Mobility from one church to another isn't biblical. Uh, your job is to fight for truth. And if the, if the leadership of the church doesn't want truth, then you leave. But having said that, the truth is that we are here to actually disciple one another, especially the youngest among us, and we had healthy church growth in the last few weeks. There's a lot of talk within churches about parenting. You see lots of signs about it and series on it. And one observation I've made through the years, though, as church functions is we tend to be critical of parents when their kids struggle spiritually or make bad choices. And when I say we are critical, I mean we get judgmental, don't we? We sit around and we sort of, especially if somebody's kids are worse than ours, that makes us feel a little bit better secretly maybe. I tell you what, the problem with the Wilkies is they eat too much or whatever. You know, if they ate less, their kids would be better. Whatever, whatever we say. But the truth is we have a tendency to be critical of parents whose kids are struggling or not struggling. And you know what's ironic to me about it, and I've talked to quite a few of you about it, especially if your kids have been successful and, and all. And when I do premarital counseling, I'll often meet with parents and just encourage them, especially as their kids walk with God. One of the things we don't do is pat people on the back who've done well with their kids. I mean, raising kids is intentional and is difficult. And even with all the intentionality and all the spiritual health in the world, it doesn't necessarily promise you great kids. That's something we don't talk about much. I mean, the truth is a lot of us, including myself, a lot of us come to Christianity because it's comfortable and we want stuff that fit. And if we fit into the genre of Christianity, the message of Christianity, we really like Christianity. I mean, you can get a better job if you go to the right church and you pray the right way or, or everything will work out. And that's just simply not true. I just keep telling you that. I know it may be discouraging, but there are no silver bullets except your relationship with God. That's the one promise God made to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. As far as we know about Samuel, for instance, I just started the message by pointing out to how everybody reveres this man, including God, and he ended up with his two oldest sons being bad guys. And yet not anywhere in Scripture, at least in my study, 
do I see anywhere where God rebukes him for that? As opposed to Eli, that was actually held accountable because he took God lightly, and in turn, his sons took God lightly. We don't see that with Samuel. And, and in fact, I'd like to make a point this morning as we start that, that even if there, there's a lot that's not said, so maybe Samuel was a bad dad. We don't know that, but maybe he was. But I want to tell you that this is not the only time in Scripture where we have a parent, a good parent. Actually, I'm going to say a perfect parent with failure kids. God himself was the parent to two people that he put in a garden. Not only was his parenting on point, but so was the environment he put him in. These young people were birthed or created with with no sin nature. These young people were placed in a garden that was just one order, don't eat from that tree. Everything was perfect, and yet they still rebelled and disobeyed. And his grandkids, Cain and Abel, one kills the other one. I, I think it's important that we realize that we understand that as parents and grandparents, it doesn't guarantee that your kids are going to be great as God defines great. On the other hand, although you can't guarantee that they'll be great, you can guarantee that they won't be great. You can guarantee that they won't walk with God or that they will take Him lightly. And Scripture actually, Scripture actually gives us some instructions on parenting or having a, for the sake of our conversation over the last few months, a spiritually royal family. And this morning, I'm going to hobby horse. I know that shocks you. We're going to rabbit trail because I think we have a moment here to talk about how we do the best we can according to God and under his direction and under the Holy Spirit on how to raise godly kids. In fact, the text I'm going to be in this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And it gives us three steps. I'm a, I, you know, I was trained in Bible school and seminary on three-point sermons. You don't get them very often, but you're going to get one this morning because there's three points to this. If you want to have a spiritually royal home, that doesn't guarantee perfect children. Why not? Because they have a sin nature. They're going to they're gonna wonder. But if you actually want to have a home that gives them the best shot to put their flesh aside and to honor God with their lives, these are the three steps to that. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants. What's that word? You. You to do. For instance, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to begin by saying a couple things. First of all, this is not about your spouse or your kids. The first step to having a spiritually royal home has nothing to do with who you're married to or who your kids are. It's about you. If you want to have a spiritually healthy home, if you want to do home as God, your daddy, intended you to, then it begins with you. You must understand what it is God wants you to do. You must think clearly. Having said that, the first instruction is not about drinking. We go right into there. The church loves to take this text about drinking. In fact, I think Satan uses this text on drinking to distract us. This text is not about drinking. 
It's not even about the evils of drink, although it says that if you do it, it, it'll destroy you. What it's talking about is feeding your flesh with stuff that makes you happy temporarily. This is about a comparison between what the world offers to give you temporary joy versus what God offers. And how can I say that? Because if you were to spend the time, and I don't have the time this morning, to read all of the beginning of Ephesians 4 into 5, Ephesians 4 and 5 begin with walk worthy of your calling. In other words, now that you're saved, this is what you need to do. And then it goes into family, but it starts with us as individuals. Les Spellings likes to mock me about once a month, and uh, I say things under my breath and bless him publicly. But he likes to say, I've been here 12 and a half years, as long as you have. How long have you been coming to Carpenter's Way, Les? It's been a long time. He was born here. His parents are buried out back and in the little cemetery. But the fact is that Les Spellings will tell you in private, so I might as well publicly announce it. There's only two applications to any message I ever preach. There's actually only two applications to any text you read. Meet God if you don't know him and surrender to him if you do. Because none of us have ever arrived. We're still working it out. We're still struggling with our flesh. There's not one of us in this room that doesn't want to be happy, happy, healthy, and wise. Not one of us. And you know, in the history of humanity, there was a guy, and Zach and I have been talking about this a lot, there was a guy who was happy, healthy, rich, and wise. His name was Solomon. And if you want to know how that worked out for him, because he didn't walk with God. If you want to know what it looks like to be happy, healthy, wealthy and wise, without God, read Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. Those are the notes at the end of his life to his sons, and he's pleading with them to not worry about being too rich or even too religious. Walk with God. And I think sometimes in the church, it's easier because we like to look at the end game. It's the way our flesh is built. It's just how it is. We want good kids. We want a better job. We want fill in the blank. And those are good wants, the problem is that we try to find the secrets in Scripture that promises those things without the work that we have to put into it. We just want that. That's how we're built. And so, as being built that way, you have to understand that Satan works in that to distract you from the God things of Scripture. Everything else, everything above everything else, whether you become happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise, or you simply are a faithful servant of God, everything else comes underneath. First and foremost, you have to walk worthy of your calling. Walk with God. And how do you do that? It's summarized in this whole drinking thing. Walk wise. And what that looks like is you can get drunk and that will give you temporary joy. You can do that. You'll walk around singing songs. For the history of humanity, the imagery of being drunk as a guy sitting on a, on a corner like an Andy Griffith, you know, the drunk guy, how dry I am, you know, all that. That's the picture. This is not saying that that guy's a jerk. What it's actually saying is if you want permanent happiness or permanent joy, a joy where you sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, that comes from being under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's the only place that peace is found. And I've been sharing this with you in recent weeks because I think you have to understand, I believe that there's a lot of us, like the Jews, who want all the cool stuff of Christianity that God offers. For the Jews, it was never losing in battle. For us, it's peace. Things that God promises as the fruit of his presence. For the Jews, it was wealth. For the Jews, it was defeating the enemies in battle. For us, it's peace, joy, long-suffering. It's the things, the fruit of the Spirit. We want those without surrendering. In fact, we want to kidnap those gifts so that we can win. Why can't I be all those things? You'll hear preachers say that you're the king of a kid, therefore you should have royal wealth. Scripture clearly teaches that you won't have it in this life. It actually says you'll have it in the next. Don't store up for yourselves, Jesus said, treasures on earth where rust and moth and thief destroy, but you put for yourselves treasures in heaven. Store up things there. Trust him for the future. In other words, in this text, and, it's, and it'll take us to the first point, 
the first step to spiritual, spiritually royal parenting or having a spiritually royal home is you must be filled or under the control of the Holy Spirit. You have to. If you do the other two steps, but you are not this first step, it won't work. It doesn't work. It's the foundation of everything. If you want to have peace in this life, you first have to be completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit. That means when you read a text that doesn't fit your mojo, you go back and evaluate your mojo. You don't look at the passage of Scripture and try to redefine it based upon your preconceived ideas. You actually entertain the idea that you might have been wrong about that text. Because I actually think God isn't the way that we Baptists wish he were. I actually think God is not the way that our, our Pentecostal brothers and sisters wish he were. God only promises you his promises, eternal life, peace, joy, hope. He doesn't promise you wealth. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. The last things he told the disciples was, if they hated you, they're going to hate me. So find your peace in me. You see, we are royal ambassadors. Our kingdom, our value system, everything we are is offensive to the world. Why? Because they want nothing to do with this kind of accountability. But we, understanding the amazing grace of God, want to know him better. Let me just say that if you are not in love with Jesus, you will spend your life absolutely trying to redefine him. That's why Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, and he prayed, my prayer for you is not that you become more spiritual, but that you fall in love with Jesus, knowing how high and wide and deep and long his love for you is. I am not making this up. God doesn't just love you as a benevolent deity trying to keep you out of the fire, as is often taught. God actually likes you and wants to walk with you. Everything in this scripture is God begging men to walk with him from Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned to Cain, don't kill your brother. What's, what's happening in your heart is a lie. Just do the right thing. Sin is creeping at your door to Peter about to deny him to the church of Laodicea at the end. I'm knocking. Come on, just open the door and we'll share a meal as friends. It's God begging us to let him walk with us. Understand, and I've, I've been saying this, I'm gonna keep saying this because it's really important. It needs to get into your soul. There has never been a fake God invented who is as gracious and merciful and loving and passionate for a relationship with people as our God really is. People don't know that. They're making up gods to fit their own fleshly whims, and he's not even as good as the real one. And I believe that about the cult of Christianity today. We're making up a God who's either a grandfather, therefore he has no design for mankind, or he's just angry all the time, and he's not. He weeps with us when we screw up. He's not looking at you going, I knew you are going to do that. He's not like your mom. He's not like your grandfather. He's not even like your Sunday school teacher or your deacon growing up. He's going, come on, I'm rooting for you. I know you can do this. Trust in me, and I'll take care of this. He's so good. And I know you get tired of hearing this, but until you, singular, you and me, me singular, absolutely give my life to the Lord, I cannot expect my wife or my children or my husband, or my husband, or your spouse, feel free to laugh, your spouse, I almost drowned a few minutes ago. You thought that was funny too. Uh, the, the truth is, until you, husband, wife, single parent, until you surrender yourself to God and replace the things of the flesh that actually make you feel momentary better, like alcohol. And I'm not speaking against alcohol. I'm just saying it's temporary. It could be eating too much. It could be, it could be gossiping. It could be bad-mouthing another parent whose kids are sinning. Whatever it is that you temporarily find peace in until you replace it, demanding God do what you want him to do. Until you replace that with absolute surrender, what Jesus type, 
Jesus level. Father, take this cup. Nothing wrong with praying that that cup be removed. I don't want to die for these people. I don't even like them that much. I added that. They're kind of annoying. They're over there snoring. Peter snores. And while he's praying for them, he says, but not my will. Yours be done. I want to remind you that that tells you that he had another will. You see, we're okay with Jesus being God. We're not really okay with him being a man. And he was really tempted in a lot of areas. He never conceded to that temptation, but he was tempted. And I think you see it in the battle he had in the garden where he said, not my will, yours be done. He was tempted not to die for us, but his, the Father's will was more important to him. If you want to raise your kids who choose against their sin nature, which is what we're asking them to do, who choose against their sin nature to live as spiritual royals instead, giving up temporary pleasure like being drunk, Stop lying to yourself, stop lying to your kids. Drugs, alcohol, sex outside of marriage, those things give you a rush. If nobody got anything out of it, nobody would be doing it, right? About eight of you acknowledge the rest of you are lying to yourself because you struggle with it too. It doesn't have to be the big sins. It can be little sins like hating the president or hating those who are accusing him. Makes you feel better. Turning on TV to, to rage because it makes you feel better to rage. I'm feeling some emotion. To replace God with feelings is dangerous. And it's idolatry. We have to be careful. If you want to raise your kids who choose against their nature, their sin nature, to live as spiritual royals, then we first are going to have to choose against our sin nature and choose the royal values of our daddy first. It is not your job to make sure that your kids do not make the same mistakes as you. It's not your job. It is your job to make sure that they see what a godly man or woman looks like having realized those choices don't work in the end. It is more important that they see how we live than they hear how they should live. And that's a mistake we make. If you dress like a slut mom, you should not be upset when your daughter does. If you dress like you're 16, why shouldn't your daughter dress like she's 30? Gentlemen, if a walk with God is something your wife leads in your family, why should your daughter look for a godly husband? It's working out as far as they know. What you are speaks to what you claim as to whether or not it should be taken seriously. And the problem with Eli was he took God lightly, so his boys took God lightly. Do you want your kids to experience the fruit of the Spirit? Do you want your kids running to God rather than alcohol or whatever else or temporary earthly pleasures? Then we have to go first. We're first. We have to choose God and live it behind the front door and not just on Sunday mornings. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but of those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And if I can use our vice president as an example for a second, please, if you're a Democrat, just give me a moment. Here is a man who claims to walk with God, and I have no knowledge of his personal relationship with the Lord. I understand he's born again. That's all I know. I do not know him. But I will tell you, last year he was mocked by Hollywood and D.C. and many in this country's in enlightened areas for never having lunch alone with a woman if his wife wasn't present. Boy, could some of them have used that wisdom. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the world thinks or does or even the church. It's what God thinks or does that matters and how we look to him. You want to have wise sons, men? Live wisely.
You want your, daughter, your, your, your sons to treat women with respect? Treat your wife with respect, even behind closed doors. You want them to blow, her, uh, blow off their wives and, and not laugh at them? You want them to buy things they can't afford? Go ahead and buy that bass boat. You want them to spend time with their wives? Then you're going to have to take a week off of hunting and be at home. It's a cultural thing. I know I'm stepping on a cultural toe, but I just want to, be, I, I just want to make something clear on behalf of all the women here. And you better give more next week, ladies. I'm about to lose my man card. If you get two weeks vacation each year and they happen to coincide with deer hunting and pheasant hunting or whatever you do, just so you know, you're taking a week, two weeks off, not your wife. Because when you get in your truck and you head to West Texas or wherever else you go, what's your wife doing? Actually, all the stuff you normally do. That's thoughtless living. Yeah, but I need that. What does she get? What does she need? What are you teaching your boys? Thank you. For those, of you, for those of you who are watching by television, ladies, Mark Wilkie, cwbc.org, send your checks. No, no, I'm, I'm being serious. This is a fair question. When was the last time you gave your wife a week off so she could go to Dallas and learn how to put makeup on or whatever she wants to do? I know, I'm a sexist. Get over it. When was the last time we said you can go to that clip art convention for a month? I only get, well, but honey, I only get, I know, put up with me. I only get two weeks vacation, and if you go to that, I'm going to have to take a week off of my time uh, from hunting, and I'm going to have to stay home and take care of those kids. And remember, you really wanted them. <laughs> okay, we got it? If you want your kids to walk with God, if you want them to be thoughtful, if you want them to marry wise, it starts not with your spouse, but with you. But there's more. Ephesians 5, 21 through 32. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the, his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to, submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave, up, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Just in case you're not clear, the in the same way is not a connective phrase. It's simply saying, just as Christ loves you selflessly, you need to love your wife. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows his love for, for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration. What is marriage? This mystery, it's an illustration. Your marriage is, is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are actually one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The problem with this text is it's not complicated. It's just not socially, politically acceptable. And if you want to know what it looks like, I, I can't imagine. I really honestly, unless you're angry already, which a lot of people are, but I can't imagine any any woman in this country having her husband sit down across the table from her and say, I love you so much, I just want you to know, that on top of never sleeping with another woman or dating another woman or flirting with another woman, I won't even have lunch with another woman. You might even as a woman say, oh, you don't have to do that. Honey, I trust you. But to have a man that loves you that much is an honorable thing unless you hate that value. And our country hated him for it. 
Why does that matter? Because you have to understand that the world is no longer satisfied with us not telling them what to do. Now they want to tell us what's right and wrong. And that's why it's important that you in your head begin to realize that you are no longer of this world. Scripture says you're a foreigner, an alien, and a stranger. And I like to say you're royal because it's true. You have been adopted into not just a new eternal destination. You have been, ter- you've been adopted into an ambassadorship, an eternal value system. You and I aren't just sinners saved by grace. We are, we are adopted into the family of God through the salvation by the grace and mercy of God. We are not just, just you know, people who believe this stuff so we don't go to hell. We are, we are a new people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We are his children, and our value system should be as dramatically different as if you went and lived in Asia. As an American, it's dramatically different, and the world even either joins us or they reject us. There's very little middle ground. It's just how it is. And, and we've tried for the last 20 or 30 years to try to meld our value systems with the world so that they don't think we're judgmental. I never once thought we should ask the world to act like us. What we should do is get them adopted into our family, and then the Holy Spirit and our discipleship will begin to train them how we live, right? But the problem with the church is from the moral majority, sorry, Jerry Falwell, may he rest in peace. The problem is we started acting like the, the majority of people should be moral like us, to which I say, you're crazy. If there's no hope after this life, you should party up now. Because I'm telling you that if you live for God, it will be lonely now. You can't just go do whatever you want, whenever you want. How you raise your kids has to be intentional. How you relate to your husband or wife is intentional, even when they don't deserve that intentionality, that mercy, that grace. You do it because God's done it to you. The Lord's Prayer, we all know it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I know some of you are going, he's talking fast. But it's the part that we don't think about. By this point, we're zoning out. And forgive us our trespasses as we what? Yeah, I hate that part too. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us unless we're married to them or we birth them. Then we're allowed to hate them for the rest of their life. You realize that when the Lord's Prayer, the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, he actually said that the quality, Father, may the quality of your forgiveness for me be the same as the quality of my mercy, grace, and forgiveness of others. <gasps> I didn't hear any amens on that. Because just now we're remembering the cop. How dare he pull me over going 75 in a 60 mile an hour zone? He's a jerk. I mean, the truth is, we got to show mercy and grace, especially when people are doing what they're supposed to do. And the world is doing what she's supposed to do going to hell in a handbasket. You see, our job shouldn't be to moralize the world. Our job should be to watch and wait for them to self-destruct so we can offer them something beyond morality. Hope in God. What are we doing? This society should be moral because there's more of us than them, not because we dictate moral law to them. For instance, marriage. Because we wanted tax breaks in the history of this country, we decided that we would marry the church's definition of marriage with the world's definition of marriage. Boy, was that a mistake. You see, there are two kinds of marriage. There's a secular marriage, which is, which is connecting for tax purposes. It, can, it doesn't have anything to do with God. It's two people that love each other, and they're making a temporary commitment for a short period of time as long as they like each other, and it dissolves all the time. It's always been that way, which is why even God set up, uh, set up laws for divorce. A biblical marriage is completely different. It's got people understanding that as two royals, this is my sister in Christ, this is my brother in Christ, we're coming together to walk each other down the aisle of life to our next marriage, 
when we sit down in heaven in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Therefore, my job isn't to make sure that she is perfect for me. My job is to make sure I am serving her so she can be perfect for him. Next time you catch your husband looking at porn, think about that before you beat him within an inch of his life. You see, the uh, men, when you come home and your wife wants you to do more, think about them, the, that. The truth is that my job as a husband is to serve her like Christ serves me. In fact, let's jump into the instructions for wives. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. For wives, this means submit to your husbands. That's the Lord. There's that bad word. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of, his, of the church. He is the savior of the body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Wives, under the Holy Spirit's control, you're to respect and serve your husband in the same way that Christ expects the church to respect and serve him. Because of the time we're living, I have to add, this does not excuse abuse, but that's another discussion for another day. But I want to say this about abuse. If you're being abused, you call me, and we'll both show up with the police. I mean real abuse. If you're being abused by your spouse, and they claim to be a believer, that's a spiritual and a legal confrontation that needs to be happened. Fortunately, our society looks down on that, and we've got wonderful resources. So that's all I'm going to say. If you're being abused by your husband, and I mean abused by your husband, call the police. That's your biblical responsibility, and we'll be involved with you. We will stand with you. Well, God hates divorce. Not if you're being abused. I'll stand with you on that too, and I'll hold account before the Lord for that. There's a time to stop. Because you know why? Your kids are watching. And not only that, but because you don't do, that is not what God asks you to do, especially if they're a believer. Remember, the laws of brother and sister in Christ supersede the laws of marriage. If your brother in Christ who's your husband is abusing you, they need to be confronted with their sin and a few bats and maybe a gun. I know, I'm in Texas, I can say stuff like that. Short of that, this text says what it says. You can not like it, you can resent it, you can hate it. But it is what it is. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. For husbands, this means to love your wives, get this, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Oh, that, that kind of stinks right there. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Spiritually royal husband, you are to live to serve and mature your wife in the Lord just as Christ does with you. Your priority, your absolute focus must be her needs over yours. And your fishing boat or hunting buddies have to be second. Husbands, love, cherish, and treat your wife exactly as Christ has treated you. Even when, or maybe especially when, she acts like the church and chooses not to submit. You know, the funny thing about this text is throughout history, it's always more to women. I, I just want to make it clear that if she functions as the church in this picture, in this marriage, to your children, if she's functioning as the picture, the truth is the church is always falling short, are we not? And how does Christ react to that? He keeps loving, keeps knocking, keeps inviting us for breakfast. That's the man's role. See, even when she falls short, you're not allowed to fall short. Having said that, I now have to add this little fine print. This does not excuse abuse. That's another discussion for another day. If you as a man are being abused by your wife, which by the way is now statistically, I think I read this, like 25% of abuse, it's just not as reported because it's embarrassing for a man to admit his wife is throwing dishes at him or that she's hitting him with things. 
ladies. That's abuse, in case you're unclear. And it has nothing to do with God. So in cases of abuse, we are here to help you to call the policeman, and we will watch as your wife is locked up and put in jail. Well, that would look bad on TV. Then keep living under that sick, disgusting umbrella. Why let, if you love your wife, you're supposed to purify her. You're tolerating a sin that's destructive. It's weird, but I've never really talked to a man about being abused before, but it happens a lot. And you shouldn't tolerate it. You don't have to hit her back. But there are resources. I mean, this is, this is tough stuff, but the step two of being, having spiritually royal homes or parenting is to serve your spouse in their role and their needs over yours. In other words, model the kingdom of God behind closed doors. Husbands, you are Christ. Wives, you're the church. If you want your kids to put away what their flesh wants for what God wants, they should see God's value system in your marriage. Now think about your last week. What are we modeling for our kids? Well, I want stuff too. Wow. Think about it. I know this is tough, but this is very, very important. If we, we can't guarantee that our kids won't give in to their flesh, that's not the point. The point is we can guarantee that they will live by their flesh if we live by our flesh. If you are not walking with God, why should you? Let me say it this way. If you are not walking with God and your kids see that you don't take God seriously, why should they take a God seriously that they can't see? They trust you. Whether you ever signed up for it or not, you are their mentor. They are following in your steps. Men, you can see this in hunting. Even the girls in Texas shoot better than me. It hurts my feelings a lot. But the fact is, your kids, they, they want to wear, you know, they, they buy a new truck and then they spend another $300 getting, getting seat covers so you can't see the seats. That doesn't make any sense to me. Go with the seats they gave you. But it's what we do. Or you paint, you build an awesome new gun and then you mess it up with paint so it can't be seen in the bushes. What if you lose it? I mean, it's a cultural thing. And why do your kids tend to do that? Why do little boys pretend to shoot and want to hunt? Why do you want to take them at their first moments as early as they can? Why do you take pictures, Ben? You don't Facebook and Instagram, but you will put your kid there with you or eating because they want to be like you. I want to say they will be like you. I can't guarantee you that they'll put their flesh aside just because you put your flesh aside, but I can guarantee you if you model for them living for yourself and not living for God, I guarantee you so will they. They will. They absolutely will. So I can't guarantee you that you'll have perfect kids, but I can guarantee you what, how easy it is to make imperfect kids. If you don't take God seriously, neither will they. The summary of what it looks like is Ephesians 5, 31 through 33 in your marriage. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great ministry, but it's the illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Our homes, how we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as spouses, especially in our marriages. And I want to pause for a second. This is why believing people should never marry an unbelieving person. It's taking a half secular marriage and half Christian marriage and trying to marry it. I will never marry a couple like that. I will at times marry two unbelievers. I will marry 
to believers who are walking with God, but I won't even marry a believer to an unbeliever or to a believer who's not serious. There's, there's nothing to talk about. You understand that, right? If I sit down with a couple in my office and they're both not walking with God, what advice can I give them? You can go to a therapist and a mayor for that. But it seems to me that everything we do should reflect discipleship, maturity. And what I'm doing and what Julie and I are doing is we're bringing young people into our homes or old people, depending on when they get married. We're bringing them into our lives and saying, this is what that looks like. And let us tell you the mistakes we've made. But I assure you that every mistake we've made comes down to not practical thinking or worldly or fleshly thinking, but what God expects of me. And I'd like to say that I think one of the mistakes that the church has made is we keep having these thematic messages and series. I'll give you a case in point. Jeff and I have talked about this a lot. And I don't want to out him this morning, but I will tell you that in our conversations, I look back at my youth ministry years and all the times that we did uh, just say no, you know, to sex thing. The Josh McDowell series, and they'd be like 12 weeks of, of reasons why you shouldn't have sex before marriage. And they were great reasons, but we would end with, oh yeah, God doesn't want you to. Within the body of Christ, it should be enough that God doesn't want you to. But have we left intimacy with God to such a level that he's the last reason we, want, we, we do the right thing? I mean, when do we do the right thing because we trust our dad having our best interest in mind or even his own best interest, and that's our best interest? When do we so give up ourselves that we trust him? And if we don't, why should our children? Why should our kids? Our homes, how we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ within marriage, it says how serious we actually are about God, and in turn, it tells our kids how serious they should take him as we begin to fight or as they begin to fight or give in to their desires over the flesh. If God is only a Sunday morning thing to you, why shouldn't he be that for your children as well? And when he stops being convenient, like college, or when they're out of your home, why should they go even on Sundays? It really didn't make that big a difference. I mean, frankly, their parents are living without him. They just go to church right? I mean, however serious do we take this? If your kids watch with their eyes your life and your spouse's life, their mentors and their mentor as mentors, and they refuse to give your desires up for God, and behind closed doors they watch you as you treat each other humanly rather than as God clearly instructed, why should your kids give up their fleshly desires for a God they cannot see? This is why we have to live it. It's an illustration. If you want to do all you can to raise godly kids, spiritually royal kids, who put away what they want for what God wants, it means that you as an individual first and foremost have to walk with God and put away your fleshly desires for His. It means second, as a married couple, you have to choose to do marriage God's royal way, not the way the world says you to or your flesh. I know some of you in this room, a lot of you are watching and you're single parents and you're wondering, well, this, I can only do one of those two. So let me talk to you for a moment. You're going to hate this. So take a deep breath. I know you're wondering what the, how, how you can model God as a single parent. What it means is you can't date anybody you want. I'm lonely, though. Yes, you are. So is Queen Elizabeth. So is Jesus. But I need God. You need God. He'll be your husband. Raise your standards. But I can't even get a pagan to look at me anymore. Good. God's protecting you. In your dating, 
You must find somebody, if you want a royal home, you must find somebody that also values royalty. That means ladies, especially most of the single parents are ladies, that means if you're going out with a guy and he expects physical things that don't honor the Lord, you need to dump his butt no matter how handsome and rich he is because he's not leading you. And I assure you, if he's not going to spiritually lead you before marriage, he ain't going to do it a week after. Better single till your kids are gone, and then you can lower your standards. You know I'm right. Look, I've been telling you, and, I, I've, and some of you are starting to push back a little bit on the royal thing because you see how in, imperfect the... Uh, you know, the royalty is in England and it's, and it's the crown. I get all that, but I just want to say this. Doing the right thing is lonely. It's always been lonely. It always will be lonely. I'm sorry. What we've tried to do is make it less lonely instead of just jump in the arms of Jesus. Jump in the arms of Jesus. Seriously. Run to him. I don't feel him. Trust him. You will when you need it. Run to him. If you want your kids to run with him, to him, you're going to have to run to him. Remember this little joy? Matthew 6, verse 33. The disciples are wondering what they were going to eat, and they're freaking out a little bit, and Jesus basically says this in the summary. Seek the kingdom of God above everything else. Live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. If you believe God has your best interest in mind, he knows what you really, really need, trust him even in that. Maybe some of you are here this morning, and you're going, well, I've been dating, and my kids have seen me do things I shouldn't. I guess it's too late for this. It's not too late. Tell them. Humble yourself and admit repentance, what it looks like. Model even repentance. Your kids are going to make errors. Show them what it looks like to right the wrong. Tell the truth. A godly life at home, or even kids, all begin with you, what you value, and how you live, and the message that your life preaches to those to whom you mentor. This will not guarantee your kids will walk with God. And Samuel and God show us that godly parents sometimes have rebellious kids. But in parenting, just like every other area, God's instructions to you and I are to seek him first in everything, and the rest will work itself out. Well, Pastor Mark, you've given us two of the three. You said there were three, so what's the third? And, and when do we talk about kids? Right here. Here it goes, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, rather than bring up them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Um, let, let me explain this verse in Greek because it's much more clear. The Greek is clearly instructing fathers or mothers, those who lead families, godly families, not to exasperate, and I'm not going to get into the Greek here, but that's what the word means, or provoke them to anger by unreasonable demands or petty rules or even favoritism. In other words, legalistic parenting doesn't work. That's not what you're supposed to do. Instead, fathers are, or mothers or parents are to bring up their kids, that is, nourish them. That's what the Greek word means. Train them, discipline, disciple them with living and instruction of the Lord. In other words, what Paul is saying here is don't just bark out rules like our parents did. Don't just bark out rules. Instead, nourish them by walking with your children as you walk with God. That's exactly what Jesus did with the disciples. He said, come follow me. Follow me. It means what it says. Follow me. You follow me. Check this out. See if I'm worthy of following. Follow me. And if you like what I'm offering, you can be, a, you can be one of my disciples. That's what Jesus offered them. Three steps to spiritually royal homes or parenting. Let your children see uh, first that you're serious about God, that he's real in your life and worth following. 
Number two, let your children see God in your marriage or in your dating. It's not about you anymore. Let the value system of God, unless it's not true for you, speak for itself. That's the pick up your cross and follow him thing. And thirdly, walk together as a family with God. Invite your children to walk with you as you walk with God. Don't just say, go to youth group, go to camp, go to church. Let me take you. Come with me as I go with him. That's what this is. This is discipleship. One last verse, and then I'm going to finish because you've got to go to Bible study. Psalm 119.9. It's right there. This is not you telling your kids to go spend 30 minutes in the Word. It's you sitting with your kids and spending 30 minutes with your dad with them. It's all about the Word, guys. Seriously. A relationship, as God revealed Himself through the Word, you've got to be in the Word. Are you getting a, a trend? I'm trying to talk you into being in God's word. How can a young man stay pure? By obeying your word. You can't obey it if you don't know it. It's not, it's not complicated. It's not rocket science. And it doesn't even guarantee that your kids won't wonder or struggle like God's kids in the Garden of Eden and Samuel's kids. They will sin. It's enticing. They will have to learn some on their own. But I guarantee you this, if you aren't serious about God, if you aren't working out marriage in God's design for marriage in your home as husband and wife, if you live selfishly and not selfishly, I can guarantee you that they too will. Some of you are thinking, well, what does this have to do with 1 Samuel? I like that better. Well, I just think it's important that we right some wrongs in the church. And one of those things is, is your kids are going to make mistakes. You should expect them to. You made mistakes. And your goal is not to help them not make the same mistakes you made because what will happen is you'll miss the stuff they're really going to do. What you should do, instead of having them look at you, these are the things that I did, instead of having them look at you, you should go, this is what he did, and he's worthy of following because of what he did. This should be the place where these two new babies that were born this week find their husbands. That, mean that, that means that those of you who just gave birth to little boys in the last couple years or in the next couple years, you need to raise godly kids or those girls are going to have to go outside of these safe walls to find spouses. We should be marrying each other off. This should be Carpenter's Way Baptist Church, home of the future marriage of someone. <laughs> Why? Because they love God and they love each other. We should be assigning spouses. I'm kidding, I'm just teasing. <laughs> but, but, but I am saying this. Walk with God. Walk with God with your spouse. Walk with God with your kids. And you know what? They will value that. It's not that they'll never sin, but when they sin, they know they're stepping outside of their value system. Don't be satisfied in momentary pleasures. And when you screw up and your kids know it, don't hide it, don't fight about it, tell them the truth. I blew it. I was wrong. I should never have said that. Even though your mother's a big jerk and made me say it, I should not have said it. I didn't say that ever in a conversation. Make it right. Let him see you make it right. You want to raise kids with a, with a solid biblical value system? Live by solidly biblical values. And if you don't, why would they? There's only so much Jeff can do and Mark Dubos and the 27 people that work with them or Alicia and her 175 people that serve with them. There's only so much we can do from the pulpit. I mean, we have what? Alicia, how many hours a week do you have with children? What is it? Wednesday night is an hour and a half. Sunday mornings, preacher goes long, two hours. 
So we get maybe four hours a week with your kids. You think your life can outspeak that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there's not a person in this room or watching online who are your kids who don't want to do life your way, but it is hard. So we're going to have to pick up our cross and follow you. Lord Jesus, help us be like Samuel, not like Eli. Help us be your kind of parent. Help us a parent like you. Help us love our wives even when they aren't lovely like the church. Help wives to submit to their husbands and learn to pray for them and support them spiritually even when they're not where they need to be. May we think selflessly and less selfishly. May we honor you with our, with our, with our lives as lived behind closed doors. Father, for those two that were baptized today, may today be an awesome day for them, celebrant in God. We love you, Lord. Now take these things and drive them into a good conversation in Bible study. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible study is going to start in five minutes. If you're visiting, I'd love to meet you. I'll be up here. Uh, have a wonderful day. If you're a newly married person, next Sunday night at 5 at our house, we'd love to have you join us.